You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Morning, church. Everybody good? Woo. Everybody excited? Everybody get what you wanted for Christmas? So things are kind of slim this year, I guess, but... Um, anyway, hey, glad you're here. Um, excited about today and uh, excited about all that God's been doing. We had um, some incredible Christmas uh, Eve services and a uh, Christmas service on the 23rd were awesome. We saw one person who went from death to life uh, through salvation in Christ through those services. It was absolutely awesome. And uh, we're just excited about what God is doing and, and what God is going to do in this next year. Um, in 2016, we're, we're excited to see what's going to take place. And uh, today I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk a little bit about um, who we are as a church going into this year. And we're going to do that out of the book of Philippians chapter one. And uh, I want to read the first few verses of this, and then I want us to pray, and then we'll jump into the message uh, that God has for us today. It says in Philippians chapter one, verse 27 is where we're going to start. Paul says this as he writes to the church in Philippi, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I'll read that again, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that God, we hold in our hands that we can read. We thank you that we can come to it, God, and and hear your voice that when it's preached, we God, our faith is stirred, and we pray that you would do that this morning. God, that the word as it's living and active would pierce our hearts and our souls, that it would leave us changed, God, that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit. As we sang today, God, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, come, you are welcome here today. Would you pierce our hearts at the deepest part of our being? Would you lay before us our life? And God, that we would be um, seen for what it is and that we would offer it to you, that it would be pleasing to you, that it would be a life lived worthy of the gospel of Jesus and what he's done for us. God, I pray that where we come in cynical, God, that you would show us who you are. I pray, God, that when we come in uh, with a somewhat of a, a less than reverent attitude, God, that we would be in awe of you again today. Lord Jesus, just come now and move in a mighty way. God, uh, where you need to, I pray today that you would turn our laughter to mourning to a seriousness about our relationship with you and that we would see you more clearly. Lord, just speak to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I wanted to start off this morning uh, by bragging on Jesus a little bit and just sharing some of the things that have happened over the last few years and even over the last year with you. Um, So far to date, uh, up till this year, up until today, we've seen over 400 people who've taken their first step of faith and come to faith in Jesus. Um, Over 400 people in the last seven years. 
We've seen over 500 people who took their next step of faith and were baptized, um, confessing their faith, confessing their love of Jesus before everyone else, um, coming and going into the baptismal waters and celebrating the fact that they had gone from death to life through faith in Jesus. Over 500 people today have done that and made that decision. This year in 2015, we've had over 550 people who have served as connectors, who said, I'm gonna take my next step and I'm gonna serve in some way, whether it was from the parking lot to um, you know, being in the babies or the first through fifth grade or serving in 212 or DOXA, our student ministries, or serving um, in here as a prayer team person. But all in all, over 550 people have served in some capacity to make what God's doing happen, to be used by God to do what God has in mind. And so I wanna say thank you for that. Thank you for your generosity in your serving and thank you for letting God do through you um, what he desires to do. And so when we look at this, we see a huge number of people who are working, doing the work of God. It says uh, here too, I got it one more, that there's over 600 people in our connect groups right now. 600 people who are in community with one another and growing with one another. And all of that is awesome and all of that sounds great and it is great. And I never want us to take for granted what God is doing. But today I wanna encourage you and I wanna challenge you that God's not finished with Connection Church that God's not finished moving and growing his kingdom through us, that he's called us not to make a seven year run, but to be something that is sustained, something that continues on, something that God continues to use, something that God continues to bless other people through, something that God continues to bless the community with, um, things like our Christmas service day, but just in general in preaching the gospel and bringing other people into the kingdom and being a presence, a very real presence in of the kingdom in our community community day after day after day as God's called us to be. And I want you to see that God's not finished yet. In fact, that's more than I was praying. And the thing that came to mind, I don't know how many of you have seen uh, some of the UFC fighting matches. You've seen some of those and you've seen maybe, um, how many of you are familiar with Big John McCarthy? Do you know who he is? Somebody raise your hand. Yeah. You know who this guy is, right? He, he's the referee and he gets out there in the middle of the ring and he's got these two beast fighters on each side. And he would look one of them in the eye and he would say, are you ready? And then he'd look the other one in the eye and he'd say, are you ready? And then he says the famous words that he is known for. Let's get it on, right? And these two guys brah, just come at each other and just, just like mauling each other like two grizzly bears, right? And, and I don't care who you are, if you're a red-blooded American male, when you saw that and he said, let's get it on, you're like, I could do that, right? Knowing you would die in that ring, but there's something in you that goes, I can do it. I, I, let's get it on, let's do it. You know, I could take that guy down. And no, you couldn't. But the reality of it is, that, that I had that feeling this morning, like this is what God wants to do. He's, he's saying, let's get it on, let's do this. Let's keep going, let's keep moving, let's keep reaching people, let's keep serving, let's keep being in connect groups and community. Let's continue to let God use us. Let's let God work in us so he can work through us. And this is what I believe God wants to do. And the way I realize that God is going to do this is he's going to do it through the church, through his local church, through the body of believers. See, so many times when we 
we come into the church, we think we're coming to church, but the reality of it is you are the church. The church is the people. It's not a building. It's not sheetrock. It's not paint. It's not drywall. It's not all of those things. It's the people of God. And when we gather together, we are the church. When you're in the community, you are the church. God's going to move through the local church because the local church is the hope of the world. It is how God designed us. It's how God designed the world. It's how God designed and his plan will work for the gospel to go throughout not only this community, but the state of Georgia, through the United States and throughout the world, is that we are the church, the local hope of the world, the hope of the world that God desires to use to transform the face of the earth and renew it for his glory. That's what God desires to do is to move in us and to move through us so that other people come to know him. And if it's going to happen, it's going to happen through the church, the church being who the church is called to be. It means that if you call yourself a Christian and you call yourself a member or part of this body, and this is your church, it means you have a part to play. It means you have something to do. The first thing we have to do is we, have let, we let God move in us. But the second thing that we do is we become a part of the body and we begin to get involved. We begin to serve, we begin to give, we begin to do all these things that God calls us to do, not so that he loves us, but because he does love us, not so that we can be um, valued by God, but because we are valued by God so that we can go and do the things that he has called us to do and called us to be. And if it's going to happen, it's going to be because God has worked in us and is working through us. If it's going to happen, it's going to be because God has worked in us in such a way that our relationships in this church, that the relationship amongst the church is something that brings glory to God. And that is what Philippians chapter one, verses 27 through um, part of chapter two is really talking about. It's talking about the church coming together and being unified. As we read, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. When we look at this, he's saying, this is the life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus. This is the life that the church should be living out because of the gospel of Jesus and what he's done. And he's telling us to live this life. And he tells us in the middle of this paragraph that what we should be doing is striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. See, the church, again, is not a building. It's not a place. The church is really a movement amongst a group of people that God is using to transform the face of the earth. And there's unity that comes when we begin to strive together with one purpose, when we begin to strive together to do one thing, to reach people for the kingdom, to bring God glory as they are transformed through the gospel. That's what God wants to do in us and through us, that we strive together moving together, locked arm in arm together. But too many times when we look at the church and we see the church, it's anything but a picture of unity. Churches fight over everything. The style of music, what you wear, the the color of the carpet. Are we gonna have chairs or pews? What what are we gonna, uh, what, what translation of the Bible are we gonna read out of? We fight over all of these little things when there's all kinds of big things that we should be united around, like the cross, like the blood of Jesus, like the fact that there are people who are unsaved and don't know Christ sitting next to us right now in many cases. 
not less, no less in the community. The fact that we are called to be a glorious body of Christ. And he says that we should be striving together. See, if we're going to fulfill the purpose of Jesus, it will be because we're striving together as one, working together as a people, called by God, united around the gospel, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. It's gonna be because our relationships are built around the gospel. It's because our relationships, and I wanna give you some things today that are keys to the relationships, um, a relationship in the church, but I want you to also see these are keys to relationships in general. If you want your marriage to be right, you do these, your marriage will be much better than it was. It's gonna improve, it's gonna get better. You want your relationship with your, your parents to be better, do these things. You want your relationship with your kids to be better, do these things. You want your relationship with your coworkers to be better, do these things. All of these things apply to every relationship, but especially to the relationship that we have as we strive together for the gospel, for the faith, united around the gospel and bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the first one. It says in chapter two, verse one, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, now remember he's saying therefore, so he's going back to what he said before that, right? He's saying therefore, because of this, because I'm calling you to live a life worthy of the gospel, because I'm calling you to strive together, then this is what you should do. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Can we pause a minute and say, like, does anybody feel like you measure up to that? Like, I have to read that and I'm like, ah, I fall so short. But this should be our goal. And Paul is asking us if we have any encouragement any comfort, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion from being with Christ. See, these are like rhetorical statements. These statements are not um, questioning, have you experienced this? What he's saying is, I know you're in Christ, you have experienced this. And because you've experienced this, I want you to, to not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others above yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but to the interest of of others. He's saying you've experienced this from Jesus, so now you need to pass this on to others. You've experienced all of these things. Now this is the life that that should lead to. The first key to our relationships, the first key to this church doing what this church is called to do is experiencing Jesus. And I want to challenge you today, have you experienced Jesus lately? Have you experienced Jesus on a regular basis? Are you experiencing Jesus on a regular basis? Or are you just religious? from having, a, having a, a, a bunch of rules with no relationship? Or are you experiencing Christ regularly? Have you ever experienced Jesus? Because one of the keys to salvation is that we have an encounter with Jesus. We experience who he is. And my question to you right now is, have you or are you experiencing Jesus on a regular basis? It's huge because here's why. We don't serve a God who is dead. We serve a God who 
is very alive. We don't serve a God who's still stuck in a tomb. The tomb is empty today. We don't serve a God who is some inanimate object. We serve a God who is very living and active in our lives. We don't even serve a God who's living, who removed himself from our situation and our circumstances and our lives. We have a God who is living, who has inserted himself into the very fabric of our being. And so today, one clap, bam, <laughs> one clap. And, and so the thing that I, I want you to see is that today we have a God who is alive that we can experience now, that we don't have to just go through the motions of life as though he's some far off distant cosmic being. He is a God who wants to be personally involved in interacting into our life. When is the last time you experienced him? When is the last time you heard his voice? When is the last time you opened the Bible and interacted with the Bible as the Bible interacted with you? When is the last time you heard his still small voice in a quiet moment of prayer? When is the last time you experienced Jesus? I want to encourage you, church, don't settle for religion, but go after Jesus, pursuit of Jesus will always lead us into an encounter with a living God because he's alive. The second thing, verses five through eight, it says this, it says, in your relationships, there it is again, we're talking about relationships. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So think this way. Think as Jesus thought. Set your mind on what Jesus' mind was set on. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The second key to relationships is following Jesus' example. See, here's a reality. We cannot look at a blood-stained cross, we cannot look a scarred savior in the eye and not decide to follow his example. When we look at him and we see him clearly, it will lead us to obedience and following him. When we see what he's done for us, it makes us have a desire to follow, to make him the Lord of our life, to see all that he's done and say, if he's done that for me, then I'll follow him to the ends of the earth. Whatever it is that he wants me to do, I'll do. Whatever it is he calls me to be, I'll be. Whatever it, wherever it is he calls me to go, I'll go because I see what he's done for me. And he says to have this mindset, to have this quality. It says that Jesus, though he was in nature God, he was God. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that he's the express image of God. Meaning you look at Jesus, you see what God is like. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he didn't consider his, his godliness uh, to be something that he was going to use on earth to bring his own advantage, but it was something that he was going to use for the advantage of others. And it says he made himself nothing. That literally means that he emptied himself of his rights. It wasn't that he didn't still have those rights. He just laid those rights aside and said, I'm not going to cling to these. I'm laying these aside for the good of people, for the good of humanity. I'm going to do this for them. And he took the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. 
And it says, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, I believe this, that if we're going to humble ourselves and serve as Jesus served us, then we've got to see him clearly. As I said, we, we, we begin to see him clearly. We begin to humble ourselves before him. When we begin to understand who God is, what God has done, what God is like, it's a natural thing to begin to humble ourselves before him. But if we're not encountering him, it becomes a very difficult thing to do. When I played football, we had this saying like that, that, that you always wanted to get low pad, the low pad, right? And what that meant was you always wanted to get lower than your opponent. You always wanted to be the low man um, when you're hitting someone. And I've seen little guys push big guys around simply because they got up underneath them. They got lower than them. See, as Christians, what we need to find and what we need to figure out, what we need to understand is that as we lower ourselves in humility and we bow ourselves before God, if we will make ourselves low, we will find strength and we'll find power and we'll find endurance and we'll find that God begins to exalt us. Why? Because we're giving him the glory, not taking the glory for ourselves. We find our true position in life, not that we're some lowly, um, no good um, piece of trash, but that we've humbled ourselves before God, making ourselves as if we are nothing so that we can glorify God in everything that we do. So that it's him who is glorified. So that we get low. See, it's hard to fall when you're already low to the ground. But many times, because we prop ourselves up on our pride, we stumble and have a big fall. And the Bible's true that pride goes before destruction. The Lord taught me this all through my life. Like one of the things that I've seen is anytime I began to get hofty, anytime I began to get prideful, anytime I started letting pride come into my life, like God would make me look like a fool. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but it'd be things like I'd you know, be strutting through the lunchroom and just trip and like fall in my tray or you know what I'm saying? I mean, something like that. Just, just little things that seemingly little, but, but big things that would go, hey, you better, you better remember that you're not all that, that I am. The reality of it is it's not a shot to our, 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 our self-worth. It's just pointing us to one who is even more worthy than we are. Who, who is worthy of all our praise. He's worthy of our humility. And so we see this, that we're called to follow Jesus's example. The third one out of verse nine through 11, it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the father. The third thing is that we need to be people who are exalting Jesus. I love this text. This is one of my favorite texts in the Bible. And again, it's one of those that has a therefore statement. And so it's talking about anytime you've heard this probably, but Anytime you see a therefore, you need to go and see what it's there for, right? Um, and I know, it's a church thing. Um, but, but when you look back, you see um, why God exalted Jesus. Because he laid down his life. Because he made himself nothing. Because he became that perfect sacrifice that we could have never been. Because he gave his life for us. And because he finally made that, that substitution on the cross for us, he took our place 
became the sacrifice. And because the sacrifice was acceptable to God, he exalted him to the highest place. He seated seated him at the right hand of, of himself, of the Father. And now he sits there and he makes intercession on our behalf, meaning he is literally speaking to God on our behalf. This is what he does. This is who he is. And here's the thing I would ask you, I would even challenge you with. If God the Father exalted Jesus because of what he did, who he is, what he's done, how much more should we, the ones who benefit from what Jesus has done, the one who benefits from who Jesus is, how much more should we exalt Jesus in our lives? When we see what he has done, the natural thing is to exalt him. Today is Jesus exalted in your life. See, it is not um, rare Christianity that exalts Jesus. It is normal Christianity that exalts Jesus. So we have to come to this place where we finally realize and even admit that this is not about us, but it's about the glory of God. It's about who we're going to be as a church. Are we going to be a church that looks to glorify ourselves? Are we going to be a people who look to glorify ourselves? Are we going to be a people who look to bring glory to God? Are we going to exalt Jesus, realizing this is not about me? We actually had people last week who came to church and got mad because we weren't having an 11 o'clock service and we were in the community serving people. Even heard this. I'm going to have to find a new church. You know what I said? Bye. (laughs) Bye. Because if you are so hung up on you that you can't be excited about going into the community and serving people with the love of Christ and in the name of Jesus, then you need to get over you. Period. So we need to come to a place where we exalt Jesus. Who or what is on the throne of your life? Who or what is on the throne of your life today? Is it, is it Jesus? Who's calling the shots? Who's Lord? Who's above everything else? Who's Lord of your life? Are you exalting him because of what he's done for you? Verse 12. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. When I look at this, it makes me think about an expectation of Jesus moving. And the fourth thing I would tell you is that if our relationships in the church, if our relationships in general, if our life in general is going to be what God wants it to be, it's going to be because we live with an expectation of Jesus's presence in our life. See, too many times we go through life as if we, we wonder, maybe God wants to be a part of my life. Maybe God wants his power to work in my life when the reality of it is that God desires to work in us that God desires to work through us, that God desires to finish what he started in you when you came to that place of salvation. So here's the question now is, are you expecting Jesus to move in and through your life? Or is this something that just, 
you're just going through the motions and you're wondering, maybe God wants to move. I've struggled with this myself. Maybe God just wants me to feel this way. Maybe God wants this to be my life. Maybe God wants me to just struggle. Maybe this is God's will for me. And the reality of it is God wants to finish in you and through you what he started. But when we somehow have a mindset that I might be fighting against God rather than fighting with God, as we're following him, and that is a defeating way to live. You need to understand that as you follow Jesus and you're becoming more like him and he's working in your life, God is fighting for you, not against you. He wants to remove the obstacles that hinder you from becoming like him. Are they gonna be there? Absolutely. Paul even talks about that we have been appointed to suffer as Christ suffered. But what it means is that we have a God who's able to move the mountains. That we have a God who's able to bring us into that place of completion. That we have a God who desires to move in us. Here's another, another aspect of this. When you walk through the doors of the church, do you come in with a mindset that God is going to move today? With an expectation that God, we're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to praise, we're going to preach his word, and God's going to move. Why? Because he promised that where two or more are gathered in his name, that he is there. And when God is here, then amazing things happen. And God works in people's heart. And God changes people's lives. And God begins to do the things that we could never do on our own. And then do we come with that expectation? Because my expectation is that when we open his word, hearts are going to change. My expectation is that every Sunday should be another Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit sweeps through here, transforming lives, giving us courage, giving us boldness so we can go out of here. And yet again, every day during the week when the sole of our foot hits the ground, it's like another day of Pentecost when we are filled with the spirit of God because we seek his face first thing in the morning and we go out and we're the church to the world around us. And so do you have an expectation of Jesus working, of Jesus moving in your life? The last one says, do everything without grumbling. Ah! or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the skies. You hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And so he's telling us in this text that we need to embrace God's purpose embrace God's purpose. So as we look at these five things, one, we need to be experiencing Jesus. Two, we need to be following Jesus's example. Three, we need to be exalting Jesus. Four, we need to be expecting Jesus to move. And five, we need to be embracing God's purpose for our lives. And God's purpose for our lives cannot be fulfilled apart from the church, apart from his purpose in the church. And so we have to come to that realization. 
He tells us that when we do this, when we begin to humble ourselves, when we do these things and we realize that it's God who's working in us, not just us working on our own, but it's our surrender to God's power that works in us. And he says, and you begin to do these things, not grumbling or arguing because you realize this isn't about me, this is about the kingdom. And we begin to do these things. He said, then as God works in you, you become children of God without a fault in a warped and crooked generation. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, this generation, these, this, this world, it's crooked, it's warped. It's, it, man, the, the things that they do are not glorifying to God. The things going on in their lives, it's not glorifying to God. But when you live this lifestyle, when you personally live this out, when you personally are in a place where um, you're living in relationships in your marriage and in your friendships and in the church in this way with God and with others, and with the world around you, then then he's saying you become like a straight line and everybody that looks can see the difference. It's it's sometimes hard if a line is a little crooked or a little wiggly, it's sometimes hard to see it. But if you put something next to it that's straight, it becomes very obvious that there's something different. And what he's saying in this is that as we come and live this type of lifestyle, what begins to happen is that people very easily see the difference in our lives, see the difference in the church, and they begin to recognize it, it begins to shine like stars in the sky, as brightly as stars shine in the sky, the gospel begins to shine into a dark world and people's hearts begin to be illuminated, people's hearts begin to be cut to the core, people's hearts begin to be transformed, the Holy Spirit begins to change people and people become into the kingdom of God. Why? Because the church is being the church and we are being who Christ called us to be. That's what he calls us to. And he says this, and I'm going to end on this. I love this. It says, as you hold firmly to the word of life, people will translate that differently. Some translations will say, as you hold out the word of life. Some of them translate it as the NIV here that says, hold firmly to the word of life. But the reality is that it speaks to both. It's why some translate it one way and some translate it the other way. It's because as we hold firmly to the word of life, we are naturally going to begin to hold out the word of life so that people can take hold of it. So as the word of life, this word becomes real to us as Jesus speaks to our heart, as the spirit moves in us, then what begins to happen is we begin to hold it out because we want to share with others there's the very thing that's transformed us. And I don't know why this morning, but it is all over me to challenge somebody, maybe more than one person in here, with, with this very lackadaisical attitude about God. It's as if all of this is a big joke, that you don't realize the seriousness of what God is trying to tell you today, that you don't realize the seriousness of who God is and what he wants for you. And I'm challenging you today to come to a sober moment of realization of who Jesus is and what Jesus desires to do. I'm challenging you to quit being so flippant with the offer of the gospel and of grace and to embrace it. I'm challenging somebody in here who is just stiff-necked and stubborn and God has been like he's hitting you in the forehead with a, with a sledgehammer, but you continue to resist. 
And today you know that the Lord is speaking to your heart. He's knocking. He's calling. But you're still resisting. What does he have to do to get your attention? Is it a miracle? It wouldn't change your heart. Is it another message? That's not going to do it. It's when you finally say yes to the Spirit of God. Hasn't he done enough? The tomb is empty. We know this. Listen, we know this if nothing else from the lives of the disciples because they're the ones who would know if the tomb was empty. They gave their lives based off of the fact that the tomb was empty. People may die for something that they, a lie that they believe is true, but people will not die for what they know is completely untrue. And every one of them, except for John, gave his life for the gospel. And John ended up exiled and boiled in oil. He got off easy. So here's the question, like, well, why are you resisting him? Maybe you, you, you've experienced things and you say, well, I don't even know if God's good. Let me ask you, tell you this, let me just tell you this, because this solves that, that once and for all, look at the cross. Look at the cross. God is good. Well, why did this happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I know that God has a purpose and God has a plan. And I know that you being stubborn and stiff-necked and resisting God, it's not gonna make it better. You're resisting the very one who can bring you comfort and bring you hope and bring you peace in the middle of the hell. for if it's for a bunch of you it's for one of you but this is the thing I would challenge you with sober up take a serious look at this because there is a lot that hinges on it you might say well I got plenty of time you don't know how much time you got that's our life that's our life you really gonna chance that? So maybe the Lord's spoken to you today and you say, this is, this is, this is where I'm at. I, I don't know Christ, but I need to, I need to know him. I need to finally say yes to his relationship that he's offering me, he's offering you. In a room full of people, he is coming to you. And see, here's the thing. We can't say we found God. God found us. God was not lost on aisle 14 at Walmart. We are the ones that's lost. The great privilege is that God came to us and revealed himself to us. And he's speaking to you because he cares for you. He loves you. And today I'm asking you, he's speaking to your heart. You've never surrendered to him as the Lord of your life. He's never been on the throne of your life. He's never taken the seat of authority in your life. Today you say, I wanna to surrender to him as Lord and savior of my life. I'm asking you to be very bold. 
I've tried to be bold with you. I'm asking you to be bold with me. I want you to raise your hand and say, I want to receive him today. I want to walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ today. You're currently not doing that. You don't know him, but today you want to. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Amen. Thank you. with her. Yeah. Who else? And listen, that is, <laughs> that's awesome. Amen. So here's, here's the question. You know the questions. Today is your day day of salvation some of you are fighting it really hard but it's okay God is a God of patience and it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance for the rest of us that's the opportunity that we have aren't you glad God's patient amen if I were God I'd have been done with us a long time ago he still gives us chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity. Today we have that opportunity again. Maybe there's something else in your life that you've exalted above him. Listen, we're, we're getting out of here early for us. So let's don't waste this time. Maybe there's something else that you know is on the throne of your life, but you say, I'm ready to surrender this. Remember, it's our surrender and God's power that finishes what God started in us. It's not your strength and your power. It's your surrender. And then God's power that works in you. It's God who's working in you. What an amazing thought, an amazing thing. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna hush as soon as I, I'm gonna pray. As I pray, I'm gonna ask you to move. Maybe you need to come down here and get on your face before God. Listen, you may be the most stubborn person in the world today, but maybe it's finally time for you to humble yourself before the God of the universe and get on your face before him. I'm gonna challenge you that you come and do that. As Ryan plays, I had to see who that was. I'm gonna challenge you to come prayer team will be going around praying for people if you want prayer for something specific just grab one of us we'll pray for you but I'm going to pray I'm going to challenge you to move let's do that God thank you for your heart for us and your love for us and your grace in our lives Jesus move in a mighty way God we realize we're all in many ways stiff necked and stubborn God thank you for your patience Thank you that it is your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. And today we come in regard to that. Lord, I just thank you that today, God, I thank you that we'd work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I thank you, God, that it's you who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill your good purpose. So we come and we surrender our lives to you. 
Father, we thank you, we love you, we praise you because you are worthy of praise. You're worthy of honor. You're worthy of a life lived that's glorifying and pleasing to you. In Jesus' awesome name.